about 170,000 people who were stranded in Lima started migrating by foot to their homes. Some people crossed the Andes by foot, you know, with kids on their backs. At the end of May, the WHO said that South America has become the new epicenter for the COVID-19 pandemic. The majority of those cases are in Brazil, not entirely surprising, given that it's the most populous country in South America. But in neighboring Peru, numbers are growing too. And it's to Peru that we turn to talk to our guest today. Valerie Paz Soldan is a social scientist and director of the Tulane Health Office for Latin America, and that's part of the university's School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. Valerie, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to talking. So maybe just a little bit we should set up about what your background is, what the Tulane Health Office for Latin America does and and what your research does in particular. I have been based in Lima, Peru since 2003 as part of the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. Um, I've been leading various research projects related to infectious diseases, particularly dengue um, and chagas and also canine rabies in the last few years, um, as well as some work with the health system, uh, trying to change the system from a pap smear based to more of an HPV testing based system. Mm. And um, as many public health uh, institutions have done, um, COVID has swept through and uh grabbed everyone's attention. So are you doing anything around uh, the pandemic in particular? Various things. In fact, too many things. Um, Because I have research infrastructure in in various locations, um, it seems a shame to not take advantage of that research infrastructure to apply it to some of the questions that are coming up. Speaking about Iquitos, which is in the rainforest of Peru, analyze what has happened in Iquitos, what what went wrong. It's been one of the hardest hit states in in Peru. Um, Understand what could be done to improve the flow of patients, the flow of of food, of food distribution, and to prepare it better for future situations. Everything that has happened in Iquitos is not unexpected because we had already seen that there is an overwhelmed, underfunded system. There's a lack of data that comes in and out, and, and that needs to really be strengthened. Um, on the other hand, in, in Arequipa, which is another city where I'm doing work on Chagas and rabies, um, we're looking at how to work with markets. Markets have been a big a hotspot here in Peru for transmission because most of the economy is informal. Most people in the country don't go to grocery stores. They go to markets. And these are often very crowded and dense locations where people are moving around. So We've been, we've been thinking of, we're working on a grant right now to think of ways to study these markets and study better ways to protect the people both selling and purchasing at these, at these you know, what, what would we look like a farmer's market in, in any other part of the world, but these are just the regular uh, marketplaces that we shop at. Yes, and uh, you mentioned there some of the sort of unique features of Peru and, and South America, the rainforest and so on, that, that make this... Um, uh, an interesting place to look, and perhaps we'll we will get onto that um, in a second. Um, before we do that, though, just as a sort of general overview, um, PAHO, which is the Pan American Health Organization, says that Peru has over two hundred thousand cases and almost six thousand deaths as of yesterday. 
Now, um, Prue went into lockdown on the 15th of March. That's quite early. Um, but the rates still seem to be rising. So could you give us just a, a picture of what's happening in the country at the moment? I think that a picture that we all need to get is our first detected case was on March 6th. On March 11th, on March 11th schools were shut down. On March 15th, lockdown began. Was the first true case on March 6th? We won't know. Um, I believe that there was transmission going on beforehand that would explain why it continued at the way because it was a very early lockdown and a very severe one. I mean, we went into, um, you know, where you were not allowed on the street unless you were buying groceries, no cars in movement, martial law. So at nighttime, you were not allowed in the streets at all for, for whatever reasons. Um, and so it was, it was drastic measures that were taken early, but I suspect that some of the transmission was happening beforehand. Um, and I suspect that this might have been the case in, in other countries as well, that, that d- depending on when the true first case really um, was there, it might explain the different peaks that we're seeing in different parts of South America. Mm. So I think, I think that's one thing that we won't know until, uh, well, we may, we may never really get to that. So we don't know when it started, but um, uh, what's happening now? Does it seem like growth is is going if they are above one um, or, or, is, or is lockdown being effective? Um, I think the government did the right extreme measures at the start, but I think that there were several failures along the way. Um, I believe that uh, they did not accompany that extreme measure with thinking out the ways that they would help people who are economically disadvantaged, which is the majority of the country. So for one, for example, they shut down the country, but then they said they were going to give money bonuses to the people who are the poorest. Okay, but most people here don't have bank accounts and and definitely not the poorest, which means that these poorest people had to go to a bank to get the money, um, exposing them to contagion. Um, Second of all, Again, as I mentioned, 70% of our economy is informal and and people shop at markets um, and markets were open to the public, but without necessarily the proper measures to ensure that people were being protected on both ends. Um, On another side, okay, education, they've moved on to TV online. That's fine. Migrants. We had a lot of people because the measure was taken one night, all of a sudden you had a lot of people in the wrong place at the, at, at the wrong time um, who wanted to get back home. Because what happened is as people lost their jobs, they couldn't pay rent where they were staying. And they knew that across the Andes or north of here or south of Lima, they would have a family home with a small farm where they could at least eat. Um, and so what I think happened is that, well, I don't think it happened. About 170,000 people who were stranded in Lima started migrating by foot to their homes. Some people cross the Andes by foot, you know, with kids on their backs. Um, and and I think that um, that allowed also for a trickle effect and spread. Um, and one might say, well, what could have the government done? Well, you know, honestly, the government, I, I would have hired buses to get people to their locations, quarantine them for two weeks, underpay, food, food, um, given to them, housing given to them. And once you knew they were past the quarantine, let them join their families. But instead of it, I think there was some ignoring, not not ignoring, there was awareness that this was happening, but it was like, okay, they're just going to spread it. They're, you know, why are they doing this? So I think there was a little bit of blame also on the population is not quarantined. The population is not doing this right. 
but people are trying to survive. So you can't ignore that situation. You know, I, I feel like even New York collapsed. So, you know, here we are in Peru, like the system didn't manage. Um, it's not surprising. Um, but at the same time, I feel that as we waited to see if we plateaued, as we waited to see if our number of cases went down, time kept passing and not a lot of other strong measures, I feel, were being taken to ensure that we were prepared for, if it doesn't work, what are we going to do? Before uh, the virus hit the, the country, um, you mentioned that um, Peru doesn't spend that much on GMP. Did it have a, a kind of um, a, a system in place to for public health to to monitor some of these things? To you know, was there a plan for a pandemic really before uh, before this came along? You know, we have researchers, we have infectious disease research, we have infectious disease medical doctors. We do this kind of work all the time. But was the health system ready to take this? No, it, it was not ready. No. So we have certain mm-hmm. amounts of monitoring and surveillance. We have certain amounts of uh, surveillance for febrile diseases going on in different cities of the country. Um, it's we, We've been watching certain things, but was the health system able to take the hit when I got it, no. And, and I will also mention, importantly, that one important element when the virus arrives to Peru is to do adequate contact tracing. And, you know, we have a system set up for people to call in if they're suspicious or if they have symptoms. Um, so that's great. It's available. But anecdotally, I can tell you that people I know who have tried calling it, it they don't respond, they don't respond, they don't respond. So so there is something there, but I'm not sure how well it works. Likewise, you know, with with um, contact tracing, we all know that we need to do contact tracing, that the sooner you do the contact tracing, the sooner you might be able to prevent other people from spreading it or from, you know, at least isolating those people until they're past the point where, where we know they would have it. Um, th- that has not really been done. I mean, maybe it's being done. It's certainly not being done strongly enough. And so I think that also, but that requires a, a humongous, tremendous amount of human resources. So right now with everything shut down and with with, with very few heads, I, I, I think it's been an unmanageable situation to try to do the contact tracing that was necessary to also um, uh, contain the spread. Mm. Now, all of that, the lockdown, the contract tracing, PPE, the, the aim of that is to reduce infection, to try and stop health systems being overwhelmed and in Peru it does seem like that hasn't worked that the health systems have been overwhelmed and so doctors are in these hospitals are facing a difficult decision about you know who and how to to treat patients uh, with COVID is that right yeah it is um at, at different points so, so let me let me zoom in on on one part of Peru um Iquitos you know um Iquitos is a, a state in the rainforest, about 1 million people, 500,000 in Iquitos, one regional hospital, two hospitals that, that function in Iquitos, and then one in another area of, of uh, this department, this state. This state covers one-third of Peru's total territory. So you have three main hospitals dealing with COVID, and, and maybe a fourth one if you if you look at more of the private one. Um, and, and so you have like a tremendous amount of um, a tremendous land cover, all these people needing to go to one place at a time. 
And it, it got to a point where they they had to refuse people. As you know, ventilation, mechanical ventilation requires like three, four weeks. They didn't even have enough mechanical ventilators. So at one point, even in, in Lima, one of the one of the hospitals that was seeing COVID patients, they just said anyone over 60, I think it was over 60, don't don't bother. We just don't have space for you. So at, at some point that happened. But what we're beginning to see in Iquitos now is the number of cases has gone down. And um, I believe it's that so much of the population has been infected that actually they're beginning to see the decline just because there's less susceptible people in the population to get the virus. Um, we're not seeing that yet in Lima, uh, but that will probably eventually happen. So, you know, it, it, it's unpredictable because every few weeks things change quite drastically. But in Iquitos right now, it's gone down. Lima, it's still up. But we do expect that as people in the inner parts of the rainforest start getting sick, that there will be a second wave of people coming in from the interior part of the country to that to those hospitals. But people have had to be turned down. Um, they've had to create um, day beds or outside beds for people needing oxygen, and um, and and they've been t- t- you know reducing the saturation rate number that where you qualify to come into the hospital because they can't um, manage so many patients. So the the situation in Peru seems fairly dire, and um, to your east is Brazil, where. You know, recently the government stopped publishing um, the death toll. They've even removed the data from their kind of official websites, and that's pretty symbolic of the entire reaction um, to to the pandemic. So, um, if we sort of broaden out from Iquitos to 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 a wider look at what's going on in the region, could you give us a, an overview? Is there a sort of similarity with other countries? Is there any patterns that we can see there? Politically speaking, Brazil and Peru took such different approaches, right? With Bolsonaro, like, ignoring it, you know, it's going to pass or let people die. And and Peru being very extreme and and taking a very forceful action. Um, Chile also did some strong measures initially and then um, relaxed a bit. Then they got a a second wave and then they um, got extreme measures again. Um, Peru and uh, Peru and Brazil's border, like the rainforest, is one area that we're all like quite worried about. There's a lot of vulnerable populations, um, and so I'm not sure how to say this. Um, basically, what what kind of patterns do we see um, in South America? You see um, Venezuela with no data at all and unreliable data. You see Brazil looking at uh, taking off their data off the website, like we're going to ignore this as a problem. You see Nicaragua saying. You know, this is not happening here, but having huge numbers of uh, of people being buried in cemeteries. You have Peru presenting the numbers that they have, but also we all know that it's an undercount. In the, in the, not because there's lies involved, but, but because, you know, even even in New York, there's just an undercount. And, and when you think about the situation, you know, for example, in, in Loreto, for that region in the rainforest, they say 309 have died. We, um, and and locals say it's over a thousand people who have died. So it will take a time for the numbers to really. We'll we'll begin to study the excess mortality to really understand how many how the data has really uh, been represented. You know, as you say, there is a huge border between um, Peru and Brazil, and you know, uh, Chile and Brazil and Argentina. Like the the sort of the 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 whole region is is very interconnected, and if we're seeing. Um, such different uh, 
reactions to the virus. That must be concerning for, well, the government in Peru if you know, they're trying to lock down and, and get a handle on it, but infection could travel in from uh, neighboring countries. You know, I would like to see an international response, an international cooperation that leads to a, a response for the region because our borders are permeable, right? And so even though we have a lockdown and even though we have all these different measures, the reality is that most of the borders are, are fair, fairly permeable. And so um, do I think it's happening? I, I don't think so, um, because, but, but I don't know. I really can't say that for a fact. Um, may, maybe there, there is some coordination. I, I, I doubt it. Even looking at Peru, um, I would like to see more coordination between the health authorities within Peru and the central government. I, I feel that even there, there has been limited um, support and, and technical assistance. I, I feel that many of the regions within Peru need more management help. Like there was uh, in the news, there was an article that talked about how many of the uh, states had not uh, used the budget that they had for COVID. Um, and so they were getting like, you know, attacked, you know, like, you know, you're sitting on a pot of money and you got people dying. Why are you doing that? You know? And I, I think that, again, you, you, you look at a, the fact that um, if you don't have health administrators or people who are doing management, because everybody's in the front line, like you, you won't be able to request the, the you know, make, make a list of what you need and get it out, you know, but, but second is that a lot of, a lot of these regions have felt, um, constantly abandoned um, by like the central government. And so I was talking to one health authority yesterday and she was saying, look, they tell us to use up all this money. They tell us that they will give us this money and that, you know, but how many times have we had it where they tell us they're going to give us this money and then it doesn't come. And then we have overextended ourselves because the money never came. And, and then our situation is even worse than before. So, so if you think about it, even within Peru, you have a situation where, the coordination um, is is fragmented due to a lack of proper communication, respecting the fact that in different regions they have different needs, respecting the fact that, um, you know, the, I, I feel that there needs to be some respect and trust. And I feel that even within Peru, not all uh, regions trust that that they will be taken care of adequately. So if that is happening within Peru, I... I, I I highly doubt that there is higher level coordination with our borders um, because then you have other players in place as well. And I think a lot of times countries are looking inward when, when you know, this is a virus knows no, um, no borders. But. You've been listening to Valerie Paz-Soldan, who's director of the Tulane Health Offices for Latin America. That's part of the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. The COVID pandemic is ongoing and to stay up to date, keep an eye out at bmj.com coronavirus, where we will be posting all of our articles about the virus. And as the pandemic matures, the science underpinning it does too. So there is a lot there, especially in the research, to keep an eye out on. We'll be continuing to cover the pandemic in the podcast, but we'll also be mixing back in with our usual content from now on. So if you came to us to listen to COVID and you haven't heard the rest, then make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. All of our content is available there for free. Uh, so check that out. 
That's it for this podcast, but we'll be back very soon with more talk evidence and some well-being on how to really enjoy a staycation. Until then, I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.